Good morning. Today we're starting a new series, and I'm excited about this series because we're going to walk through several weeks together, and we have a counterpart in our life group study that is uh, going to work through these same verses that we're breaking down from the pulpit each week in a Right Now Media study that James, uh, on James that Francis Chan did, and I'm really excited about it. He reminded us this week, if you've already seen it, that every silversmith knows that the refining of a precious metal requires heat. We've talked about this for a couple weeks, but I want to take it a little further this week. Chand reminded us that you have to apply fire to any precious metal to allow it to liquefy. And once that happens, all the impurities within that metal will then rise to the top. Then the refiner will take a ladle-like object and he'll remove that top layer, toss that aside. And this, this heat will be applied multiple times, the Bible says seven, to purify that metal. What he's trying to do, when he, knows, when he knows that it has been purely finished, it's purified to the point where it can be considered pure and as precious as possible, is when he has removed that top layer so many times that when he looks into the, the liquefied silver, he sees his own reflection staring right back at himself without the obstruction of any impurities. All the impurities have been removed and he can see his own reflection revealed right there in front of him. And James, the half-brother of Jesus, writes a book to us that says that we are going to experience the same. Jesus said in John 16 that in this world we'll have trouble. But James goes on to explain why we're going to have trouble. There's a reason for the persecution and the heat that is applied to our lives through trouble and trial, and it's to produce something. It's to verify our faith. It's to show that we have a valid faith. And this is interesting that it comes from the, from the hand of James, the half-brother of Jesus. I, I don't know that there's a better person to write such a book. He wrote it in uh, 40, uh, between 44 and 49 AD, so just about a little less than 15 years from the crucifixion to the resurrection. James writes this book being one who did not believe in Jesus as the Messiah before he was resurrected. It says that he revealed himself to James in 1 Corinthians 15. And when you read those verses through 5 to 8, he says that Jesus reveals himself to Peter and then to the 12 and then to about 500 plus people all at one time. And then it signifies that he revealed himself to James and then to the apostles. And then he goes on, he revealed himself to me, meaning Paul. Why did he signify and separate James? Why did he set him apart? Why did he say they revealed himself to James when Jesus had other brothers and sisters? Well, because James was a leader and would become a leader to the city of Jerusalem specifically. He's going to become what we would call at this time, at their time, the senior pastor of the church at Jerusalem. And this letter is written before Acts 15. In Acts 15, he's going to be appointed to the head of the Jerusalem council. He is, it, this is a council that was derived during uh, this time because they wanted to be able to signify how they would be able to have a relationship with Jew and Gentile in the same New Testament church. So this council was divided, and, and it was derived with James being the head thereof to be the, the leading voice in how the Jew was going to worship alongside the Gentile. Many people want to say that James wrote this book somewhere around 69 AD. There are some that believe that. I, I think that's going to be really difficult to do. Because the most accurate timeline we have for his martyrdom was 65 AD. So when he died in the mid-60s, it would be really hard to write this book after the fact. 
But James actually was thrown off the very portico where Jesus was challenged. Jesus was tested by the enemy. Throw yourself off this portico. And it says the angels will catch you, won't even let your heel dash against the stone. It was off that same portico that James gave his life for the commitment he had to his brother being the Messiah and as a bondservant to that faith. Have you considered that, though, like, like how difficult it would have been to be raised in the same house as Jesus? Like, can you imagine your parents looking at you and go, why can't you just be like your older brother? You know, is that fair? Like, did anyone have a worse trial than James? And was anyone more, like, accurately assigned to write about the trial that every one of us will go through when trying to emulate the life of Jesus? And so he says that we are going to have the heat turned up in our lives. We're going to have a refining process, much like silver or precious metals, to refine and to reveal our our faith is valid and verified or not. The audience he writes to here is incredibly important. The audience that James is writing to from Jerusalem as he sits there is to all these Jews who have converted to Christianity but have been dispersed. And we'll read that in a moment. It says they've been dispersed to all other parts of the world, and namely through one of two vehicles. One, Jerusalem was a pinnacle place. It's where many enemies wanted to capture because it sat as the epicenter to this very rich land of resource. And so as their enemies would come against them and they would conquer Jerusalem, they would deport Jews to other parts of the world to make space for their own people. But then the other reason is more specific to the time in which he is writing this. James and those who have just recently converted, they've given their faith to Jesus, they trust him, are suffering heavy persecution for making a a switch from Judaism to Christianity. And so many of these Jews that he's writing to right here all over the world that have left Jerusalem, there are some still present like himself, but many have gone. Why? Because they left Jerusalem running for their lives. And so he writes them, and I want to start... Just look at the first four verses, then we'll look at the next four and then the next four today. First four verses are going to have our first point. It says this, James, a servant of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, not lacking anything. First point today, please consider as you're examined. Please consider as you're examined. James uses a word here that's really important when he says bondservant, or it may read in your text, or servant. That word is doulos, where we get the word doula. This is born slave committed to the cause, completely loyal to their master who would feed them, who would clothe them, who would shelter them. This is a different word than what most of the Jews had experienced. Throughout history, they had been taken captive as, Jew, as, as slaves. They had been forced into slavery. That word is andropodon. So that word they would understand. They would Andropodon was something that when they were overthrown, Jews were forced to work for an enemy as a slave, whether it be Egypt or any other times they experienced exile. James uses this word to point to something to point to his own new birth, a rebirth in Jesus. Remember, Jesus said, you must be born again. He is saying that I am loyal to Jesus. I trust that the one that I was raised in, the very same household, was in fact the Messiah. He revealed himself to me specifically so that I could play the specific role that I am to in the kingdom. 
I was blessed enough to grow up in his household, but I didn't believe in him. I didn't watch. I saw my brother, and I did not trust. But when he revealed himself after the cross, I recognized that I'd been created in his image far before the world had ever begun. And I was created with a specific purpose, and this is it. So I am telling you, from birth, my new birth, I'm committed and loyal to the one they call Jesus. And he is the Messiah that we have all waited on. You need to hear that. James would have a lot of clout as he writes this letter to Jews who were dispersed all over the world. Why? Because James, who doubted, would be the one that would so firmly claim his fame, claim Jesus' fame, and claim allegiance to fame. In fact, the apostles would later say, we appeal to issues of the church to James. He became such a strong voice, and he writes here, look, I'm a bondservant to Jesus, and will eventually be martyred for said faith. He says, greetings, Corinth. This Greek word means to be rejoicing or fully glad. He says, greetings. Hey, in, in full gladness and rejoicing, I have a challenge for you. That you should consider every trial, every teaching you go through as pure joy. When the heat gets applied, it's much like that silversmith trying to remove impurity. Just recognize this is something that you should take full and complete joy in. So, greetings. He loves you enough to let you go through the testing. And then he uses the word consider. Hegeomai. Hegeomai is an imperative. The world holds a weight, this word holds a weight that commands, verse, uh, commands versus suggestion. Too often, I think in a democratic society, we have this tendency to believe that a lot about our faith is suggested. But when it is tested, it either, either is or it's not. There's no suggestion left. And it leads to this, this word meaning all joy or complete joy. And if he ends uh, verse 4, he says that your faith would lack nothing. So he says, when I consider Hegeomai, what I want you to recognize is this is with purpose. It is to test your validity. You know, uh, jewelers often do this, and there's many tests for the validification. <laughs> is that a word? Maybe, I hope. Um, of a diamond. One of those tests is where they drop it in water. When you place a true diamond in water, it will shine brilliantly when light is applied. They're like radiance shoots out of every corner of that diamond. But when you drop something that is a fake diamond into water, there is no shine to be found. He says it's like that. It's like that. When we are like those jewels tested, true Christians have a distinct radiance. And the testing is the trials or tough times that we all face. When a person has trouble, it reveals where their faith is and if their faith, their faith is actually valid. The best way to attest a human is with struggle, with fire, with heat applied. When people who are in Christ uh, or say they're in Christ and they claim an empty profession, when heat is applied, their profession gets burned up. Jesus talked about this in the parable of the soils. And James is trying to apply it here. He's trying to say, when testing comes, those who have simply made an empty profession in Christ but are not actually Christian, they're actually counterfeit, that tempting will cause them to walk away. That trial will burn up this profession they've said to have. But true believers, a true believer will be able to not only walk through said trial because of the presence of God, but they will actually take joy or complete joy in said trial because they see themselves as honored by God to be tested and to have their faith sifted. Hello? 
So I want you to think about that. How many of you enter testing with complete joy that God would honor you that you might be sifted? You look around you and you go, many of us are asking the question, what is happening right now? Why are we in masks? What is this coronavirus thing? Why is there racial tension? Why is there upheaval upon upheaval upon upheaval? Because I believe God is honoring his church enough to be tested. And when the heat is applied, those who have given an empty profession will be burned up by it. But those who are truly his will find not only joy in his presence as he carries them through, but they'll endure to the end. And he says, all the impurities that were once there before, they just kind of rose to the top. We scoop those away, toss them. And I'm trying to allow upheaval upon upheaval upon upheaval to heat up my church so that all those impurities can just simply be wiped away. And when I look into my children's lives, I just see my reflection without the obstruction of any impurity. When I look into their life, I just see my son and I see his life coming forth. James is speaking to the unique fullness of joy given to every disciple as a believer who's entrusted with testing that they would endure willingly and without complaining because they recognize these trials are always for their benefit and for his glory. James reminds us that we must trust in the process and we must trust him as we go through it. Like the purification of metal leads to a precious commodity, so are we to allow God to cleanse us with the application of heat, trial, struggle, tribulation, without debate, giving ourselves fully to his trust and that process. There's a few things that we can see when, when we have trial approaching in our lives, when we are tested. We have to see that testing as privilege, and this is how we can do it. Not liability, but privilege. Because when we see the testing from God's perspective, when we see that he's just trying to see the brilliance of himself shine through our lives when we're dropped in the water, he just wants to see the truth of his son come forth from us when heat is applied. He says, your testing is intentionally to teach you that you have to depend on me. Your testing is about your favor with me and my willingness to allow you to reflect me to the rest of the world. That's what James is talking about. He's like, I get to reflect him even though I denied him. I get to reflect him. And your testing is always about improving you, removing those fleshly impurities that were once there that are not supposed to be there anymore. That's why he said, deny yourself daily and come after me. They're not supposed to be there, but he says this testing will, in fact, remove that. When I was a student pastor, I used to have interns. I was really fortunate to um, have students and college students and those who just finished college come back and decide to study for the ministry, and they, they wanted me to give, speak in their lives and apply it. And so here's what we always did. I want to tell you about my morning meeting. Every morning we had a meeting where I would ask them, what is God saying to you? One simple question. I want to know what God is telling you. What is going on in your time with Him? What are you studying? What is God revealing about Himself to you? And every time, I would get the... How many parents in the room have middle schoolers? How many of you get fine okay, it's all good, okay? A lot of profound wisdom in the answers, just fine, okay? So, I, of course, at some point have to be able to test if it's actually fine or not. And how am I going to know that what they're saying to me is accurate? So, here's what I would do. I would take every intern at some point during their time with me, 
and it would be Wednesday night about to have students. We'd welcome hundreds of students in the room. We'd sit in a, in a pre-meeting in the back. We'd walk through the, the, le- the series for the night. We'd walk through what's going to happen through the event for the night, the whole worship service step by step. We would have someone pray. We'd pray together, and we'd walk out of there ready to go, and I would stop my intern. I'd grab him and say, hey, hold on for a second. Look at me and go, what's up? I'd say, okay, here's the thing. I would take out of my pocket a figurine. Oftentimes, it's one of those little green army men. You remember those? You know I'm talking about? The ones that don't move, just like this. I would take one of those out, and I would hand it to him, and I'd say, hey, here's the thing. We're starting in about two minutes, and you're teaching tonight. Wait, what? You're not teaching? No, you are teaching, and you need to come up with a 20-minute lesson that uses this figurine as an example. I need you to teach tonight. He goes, what are you going to be doing? I will be on the front row taking notes. I keep asking you what God is saying, and you keep saying, you're fine. Tonight, you get to prove it. And the next morning, in meeting, those were always fun. Because when your back against the wall, what's really in you comes out. When, when they would stand here at this pulpit and say nothing, because... They had been telling me for weeks they were fine. Now you have an opportunity to prove it. When your back is against the wall, what's in you comes out. Those impurities have a tendency just to rise to the top. But if there are no impurities in you, then truth comes forth. The reality is a lot of people want to speak. A lot of people want to, have, to say something. But can I encourage you, church, the reason you are tested is so that you have something to say. And if we find that difficult, if we find this hard, God gives us grace. He says this, if we find it difficult that we're going to walk through testing and he's asked us to find joy in it, they would honor us with it. He says, if you're not sure how you feel about that, if you kind of struggle with it, he said, just ask me. James 1, 5 through 8, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one that doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. There is more significance in the context of these four verses than we have given credit to. It's not just simply, if you want to know, ask of God, like ethereally. That's not it. He's going... I want you to be confident as you inquire. So if you are walking yourself through a trial or a testing right now, and you're going, why is all this happening to us? Where is God in all of this? He goes, that's what I want you to ask about. I want you to have that question. Be confident that I am going to give you an answer. It may be tough to hear the reality of our testing, And we may struggle with that, but he says, ask me, talk to me about it. Do so with confidence that I, your God, know what I am doing and I will in fact answer you. I will tell you exactly why I'm testing you. Much like Justin handed the army figurine to his intern. I'm doing this for a reason. I want to see what's in you. I want to see my reflection in you. And I want you to be cognizant of the impurities that are evident in your life. You can give empty profession to everyone else, but I need solid conviction to come forth from you. And those who are tested who are on firm conviction will always have the life of Jesus come out of their their life. They will have words that 
mimic his. They will have love that mimics his. And so he says, if you are uncertain as to why all of this is happening in quarantine and pandemic, ask me. I will not withhold from you. I will tell you exactly why. If you lack wisdom, just ask me why. But allow no doubt to enter your mind that I am sovereign and I'm in control and I'm over all this. That I have a reason for allowing you to go through it. You have to know confidently that I am over your circumstances. And I'm allowing all of this for the betterment of you and for my own glory. Because here's, here's where I'm also trying to reveal in you. As much as I want to look into your life and see my own reflection, I want the world around you who has no hope, who really doesn't understand why all this is happening, I want them to see me in you as well. So I want you to be able to reflect me not only back to myself, but to the world that is hurting and needs me. He seeks to reveal himself to the world that he loved and he died for. And one of the best ways that he can do that is through believers They've committed themselves to be resolved to trust him and worship him through every trial that he gives them. When the heat's applied and it's turned up, we worship through it. We give honor to the one who is due honor. Finally, in James 1, 9 to 12, it says, Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. Humble and high. Seems juxtaposed. Let me explain. But the rich take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower for The sun rises and the scorching heat withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life and the Lord has promised to those who love him. Last point, be confident as you endure. Be confident as you endure. We talked about the flower rising above the the rest of us last week. We talked about that. Here's what he says, the flower falls. James commends, he says, the flower will fall. Earthly riches will fade away. The flower withers and dies under the pressure and persecution of the Christian life. So here's the thing, it's all going away. When the heat gets turned up, those things that are temporal and those who have placed their, their faith in those things, they'll go away. When those have status that rises above the, the rest of us, They shine like a flower because they have the status or the respect or the wealth of this world. He goes, all that will burn. It's going away. It's temporal. So he says, the flower falls. He goes, but believers in humble circumstances. He uses a really incredible word, kaiokamai. He says, take glory in your humble position. Take glory that I would willingly sift you from amongst the rest of the world, that you would stand out and you would shine brilliantly my love and my light to a world that needs. They all hold hope to the thing that's burning. You hold hope to the thing that never ends, me. He says, so you are blessed. The word here is makarios. It's the same word used repeatedly throughout the Beatitudes. When he says, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit. It is to get our attention. James uses this word because that was the most paramount sermon Jesus ever gave. And he starts his book by going, you are blessed just like that when you allow yourself to go through trial. And it's not a suggestion. It's a command. My people have to be willing to go through it so that I can prove my life and love through them to the world. And I can see my own reflection when I look into their lives. They are blessed. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says, I will never leave you. 
and I will never break a promise to you. So here it is. How many of you love the thought of going through trial? Yeah, me either. But he says that we should find complete joy in the fact that the heat will be turned up in our lives because it's the only way that he can reveal himself in and through us. John 16, it says, in this world you'll have trouble, but take heart because I've overcome the world. Jesus told us we are victors because he was victorious. And every trial we face only serves to strip away old sinful impurities that we might better reflect the image of our Savior. That he might see himself in us. And that our world may be exposed to him and his love in us. So church, let's let him. Today, let's take joy in the trial as he has seen us as worthy to reveal himself to the world through us. This morning... He cannot do that when our old flesh continually gets in the way of him revealing himself to others. He cannot reveal himself through us when we constantly allow the old flesh, our old sinful ways to get in the way. Our trials prove to remove those. They prove to remove those impurities. They prove to teach us and the world of him. So this morning, Father, as we look at our lives and we respond to you right now as the band is coming back as we respond to this word that you desire to reveal yourself in us to the rest of the world by testing us God I pray that you would see your son in us I pray that they would see your son in us. May we be a people who would consider it pure joy that you would honor us with testing and trial. That you would, like the purified metals, you'd turn the heat up so that you could simply see your reflection in us and they could simply see you through us. This morning, the heat has been turned up. The question is, Jesus, how will we, your church, respond? I pray in obedience. It's in your name I ask it. Amen. This morning on the screen, there's going to be three, three places where we can respond, three ways that we can think of it. I'm just going to point them to you. Here it is. There's no doubt every single one of us will be tested in this room. Those who claim Jesus will be tested. Here's the question. How are you doing with that test? Think on your life. Reflect. How are you doing with that test? If you're uncertain as to why you're facing a test, will you just ask him? If you're not sure why you're having to go through this or why is this happening to me, I thought God blessed me, loved me. I thought that I had favor with him. I thought it was going to be all good. No, listen, he's allowing you to go through the test because he loves you. And if you're someone here today who goes, man, that's hard to hear, but I, I need someone to pray with me in it, then I, I encourage you, as we respond right now, email me, prayerthefellowship.cc. I find an honor to pray with you in that test. Let's respond. Please stand.